If a Middle Earth elf lived today in Southern California, how would she celebrate and support the arts, music, and her community? What would Arwen do? Thursdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with me, Tani Tanuvio, on KCI 88.9 FM and streaming live at kci.org. Ellen Salalumin Amentielva. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and this is Privacy Piracy. Mari Frank is your host, and if you don't know her, uh, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. And she sits on the advisory board of the State of California Office of Privacy Protection. She's also a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, CNN, ABC, O'Reilly, Montel, Araldo, and lots of other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special a couple years ago called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Evening, Mari. Well, talk about great guests. We have a wonderful guest all the way from the East Coast joining us tonight. Let me tell you about Joel Lisker. He is Senior Vice Chairman of Dodinsky Lisker Associates, which is a political consulting and business development firm, and they represent many national companies. And wait till you hear his background. In fact, I can't even tell you everything, but it is terrific. And I had the opportunity to actually meet him by phone and by emails uh, recently and thought he would be a terrific guest, which I know he will be. Joel Lisker was most recently, just before he was this became senior vice chairman of Dodinsky and uh, Associates LLC. He was most recently the senior vice president for security and risk management for MasterCard International. In this capacity, he served as the company's worldwide senior security representative for all matters relating to the fraudulent use of its numerous card products. He was so instrumental in developing technical solutions and strategies to thwart the efforts of organized crime, and he was head of corporate security with responsibility for safeguarding MasterCard employees, premises, and property throughout the world. And he ensured the safety and security of its human and physical assets without any incident, which is pretty good nowadays, especially when we think of all the security breaches. At MasterCard, he led the development of chip-based biometric solutions, which is what we're going to talk about today, for data security, perimeter security, visitor screening, and employee authentication. Now, not only is he a security expert and he wears many hats, but he's also a lawyer. And after he got his law degree, he joined the FBI as a special agent where he worked against domestic terrorist groups. Then, as a special agent supervisor, he was assigned to FBI headquarters where he developed sophisticated solutions to safeguard FBI communications between FBI headquarters and its offices overseas. And he also developed techniques used in foreign counterintelligence operations. Then... Joel Lisker served as senior trial attorney in the U.S. Department of Justice Criminal Division, internal security section where he directed a task force operating against domestic terrorists and led a group seeking to discover and control foreign assets and foreign agents. Later, he was selected to be chief counsel and staff director of its newly formed subcommittee on security and terrorism. In addition to managing the committee's oversight and authorization responsibility for the FBI, the DEA, and the U.S. Marshal Service, he organized more than 25 hearings aimed at uncovering the global terrorist interconnections and transactional operations that became known as the Terrorist Network. 
Joel Lisker also was responsible for drafting legislation to, with respect to protecting identities of covert agents and all sorts of really important issues with regard to criminalization of payment cards and credit card fraud and counterfeit fraud, all sorts of really important issues with regard to white-collar crime as well. He serves on several corporate boards, and he's currently serving on two FBI industry task force dealing with terrorist financing and identity theft. And so now here he is in Washington, D.C. with a wonderful firm doing great work, and he's a terrific guy, and we're so thrilled that he's going to talk to us about biometrics, which is really the wave of the future. Joel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Mary, thank, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be there. You know, I could have done a whole hour just on your background. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you don't believe everything you read. Oh, no, it's, it's really wonderful, <laughs> and we're so thrilled to, to have you. You have such a great background. It's very Thank impressive. You. And so nowadays, with the information aid, how can businesses and government really know who they're dealing with? I mean, that's why we have so much identity theft, right? It, absolutely. Uh, it, it's extremely difficult because people can represent themselves in a host of ways, uh, because the unfortunately or fortunately, the internet uh, gives them a level of um, of, of, of uh, authentication that can be very deceptive in terms of who they really are. I mean, uh, they represent themselves any way they choose to, and if you don't do your due diligence, you're like you're very likely to wind up with uh, um, an untoward uh, outcome. You know, for so long we've been using the social security number as the de facto. Uh, quote, unique ID. But, you know, for example, I don't know if you know this, Joel, but years ago in 1996, I was a victim of identity theft, and my imposter was able to get my credit report. And from there, she was able to steal my identity. And so it was very easy for her to get my social security number, just as it's very easy for us to get, you know, for, for fraudsters these days to get the social security number. So it's not really so, quote, unique, right? Absolutely not. And, um, and you know there there have been efforts uh, on the part of uh, various uh, state governments to limit the use of the social security number and and prevent it from being used in financial uh, transactions or uh, in in the application for uh, payment cards and that sort of thing, but we're so far down the course there that uh, it's really a futile a futile effort, and it's un- unlikely to um, uh, you know to to actually happen. So we have to come up, it seems to me, with another way of authenticating an individual's uh, identity. Right. And, you know, I can see that, you know, you were an early advocate of biometric solutions going back to when you were um, head of global security for uh, risk for MasterCard. But, you know, I I know what biometrics is, but I bet a lot of people in my audience really aren't really sure. Could you kind of explain what biometrics is and what the different... um, types of, of biometric identifiers there are? Sure. Uh, well, really, uh, a biometric is something that you are. It's something you carry with you. That's one of the beautiful pe- uh, things about it is that it's something you, you really can't lose uh, because it's, it's integral to, to who you are. So it, it could be your iris um, uh, um, read. It could be your retina. It could be your fingerprint. It could be your palm print. It could be your dynamic signature. It could be your facial characteristics. Uh, it could be your gait, uh, your speech. Um, any any of these are susceptible to uh, algorithmic uh, uh, categorization, which can then be compared with uh, a derived value to determine whether or not the stored value, depending on how it's derived from fingerprint or face or how iris or retina, um, matches what the uh, what is presented to the authenticating official. Right. So in your opinion, what are the benefits of biometric technology when we're looking to try and authenticate somebody for, let's say, if you want to get a credit card or you want to get a loan or even if you're arrested by mistake? What, what are some of the benefits that, that you can see with that technology? Well, um, you know, I, I would like to be able to say that nothing, uh, that biometrics are foolproof and there's no way you can possibly uh, simulate or imitate them. But if you if you think if you stop and think about a, a state uh, a national government a foreign state with unlimited resources, um, it, it would be deceptive to say that it couldn't be done there because there are there are ways in which um, similarities can be um, uh, developed and, um, and 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 perhaps people fooled, uh, uh, but that's assuming unlimited resources to put against the problem. But for the average uh, situation and, and the type of criminal activity that we normally deal with, 
even in the hundreds of millions of dollars of criminal resources to put against a problem, um, they, they are foolproof. And um, now there are issues with regard to the way in which people enroll. And for some people, uh, certain biometric solutions aren't as, um, as uh, palatable as others. For example, uh, when you get to be, oh, 55 or 60 years of age, your fingerprints tend to degrade. And unless you have a biometric solution incorporating uh, finger minutia that looks under the skin at the, at the subcutaneous layers, uh, the chances are your, your enrollment is going to look like a black smudge mm. as opposed to a young person whose fingerprints are very crisp. On the other hand, irrespective of age and, you know, barring cataracts, the iris and the retina solutions are probably very good and, um, and, and still reliable even for people of advanced age. In certain cultures, uh, the fingerprint's not acceptable. In Japan, for example, it's associated with criminal behavior, and people uh, culturally, the Japanese seem to be adverse to um, accepting the fingerprint uh, for, for, for that reason. Uh, the voice uh, is one which is easy to enroll. It can be re enrolled remotely. You don't have to go anywhere. You simply have to get on a, some sort of a speech uh, conveyance device like a telephone or cell phone or um, you know, some device like that. And um, the problem with that is, though, depending on the uh, quality of the communication, there can be uh, um, uh, issues with regard to the reliability of what's actually stored in the, um, you know, in the in the enrollment process. But but for the most part, it works fairly well. And and if you talk about multiple levels of authentication, where you use um, a signature, perhaps a social security number, perhaps a voice or an iris. Um, the more um, increments that you put on those levels, uh, the higher the reliability, even though as a standalone, voice may not be as reliable as fingerprint. Right. You know, um, I sit as an advisor to the Office of Privacy Protection in California, and we've always been recommending, even with the Social Security number, that it not be the only thing that you use, that you have maybe questions that you ask someone that, that no one else would know, like who was right. your favorite teacher in your third grade or, right. or something like that, because that is really unique. Let me get back to some of the questions that I had about biometrics, because biometrics in itself isn't bad or good. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it doesn't have, you can't say, oh, that's terrible. People, some people say it's so terrible or some people say it's so wonderful. I think it's a technology and it's how it's used and how the, it's built into the architecture of whatever you're doing and, and how the privacy is built into the architecture. But let me ask you something. For example, I had um, a, a surgery on my eye so that I couldn't, my arms weren't long enough to read anymore, you know, mm -hmm. and so I had one eye done so that I have a reading eye and I have a distance eye now. How about the fact that I had surgery on my uh, cor uh, my cornea to make it so I can read again? So would that make a difference uh, if I had a, a iris scan or anything? Does that affect that? Well, um, it, um, I don't know the answer to the question. If you were enrolled prior to your surgery and uh, and then that eye was incorporated, uh, it was was operated upon, and then there was a um, a change as a result of that. Depending on the surgery, I mean, I don't know enough about the surgery. Right, to know exactly right. You know, it's like the laser stuff that they're doing. I wouldn't think so because okay. I think there it's more peripheral, and uh, okay. um, you know, they may. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I, I'm keeping my day job. Uh, ophthalmology <laughs> is. Oh yeah, much. I was going to say. Look at you're a lawyer. You're you know you're a consultant. You're a, you're an FBI. I don't want to practice medicine well, without well, a license. Well, I think you should also get a, lot of a medical degree. You know, you have everything else. <laughs> no, okay. I was just wondering about. And then, but I, w I would think not. Uh, I think that that surgery, uh, laser surgery, tends not to deal with the same areas that the uh, that the iris scan would would look at. Right. Well, you know, I mean, in, in terms of that, I worry about, these are the kinds of things I worry about that I hear from victims of identity theft who can't prove who they are. What, what I worry about are these false positives and false negatives. Right. And, and that, I don't know, and maybe you know, I, how advanced is the technology that would reduce those false positives and negatives so that people aren't, number one, embarrassed if they really are who they are and they can't prove who they are, or if they aren't who they are, and somebody can again prove that they're, you know, they're the victim. Yeah. Well, in, at the, in the Mastercard test that I did, I, I gave all visitors the opportunity to enroll, repeat visitors, the opportunity to enroll, and then when they came in, they would present their finger, uh, in, a, in a matter of speaking, 
<laughs> not, uh, not at you, right? Around <laughs> me, no. Well, but maybe they did afterwards. Right. Um, and, um, and, and, and it would be checked against the stored value, an algorithmically derived value. Um, in the, uh, my false reject rate, um, well, there was no false accept rate because nobody, nobody uh, knowingly tried to get into MasterCard <laughs> as an imposter. Right, uh, right. We didn't have, so we didn't have a false accept. But the false reject rate was running about uh, three basis points. Uh, initially, it was about 25 basis points, which is with 25 one-hundredths of one percent, one quarter one percent. Uh, when I was done, uh, after about a year of, of testing, it was down to about three basis points, three one-hundredths of one percent false reject. Uh, now that's you know if you're the one that's been rejected though that's disquieting because you know you're going through this process you, you're enthusiastic and and it doesn't work and right and it's very it's, frustrating it's yeah yeah but uh, but but that was pretty successful now uh, Homeland Security uh, I you know I'm involved in um, political consulting and we're very actively involved with uh, with Homeland Security and TSA uh, 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 the uh, a sub group that deals with transportation security issues right. uh, of Homeland Security. And, um, and they had a, um, they allowed for a 10% um, wow. uh, uh, false accept or false reject. Uh, That's huge. Well, yeah, and I, thought, and I told the gentleman who presented this information to myself and, and then the then chairman of the uh, subcommittee that uh, that means that, um, you know, uh, a criminal, uh, somebody bent on doing harm, has a damn good chance of getting through the system. Exactly. And uh, uh, and then all those people who really shouldn't, you know, should be able to get on the plane or whatever, or the train, or then they're going to be rejected. And what are they going to be going through? Yeah, I mean, to me, even a one percent uh, allowance is too much. Right. And what? and what kind of uh, safeguards are built in for you to be able to prove? I mean, is there a system in place that if there is um, a false negative, I mean, a false, po- wait, now I'm getting backwards. If, if someone is really the true person and, and is there, rejected. is there a system yeah, set a false in? Re- what's called a, a false reject. Right. A false reject. A type two error. Yeah. Thank you. So if there is that, is there a system in place? Because for example, there, it, the, the TSA system presently in place for the watch list really works poorly from all the victims that we've heard from and also the new treasury no buy list that you know there isn't even any way to get off that and and that there's a lot of you know false you know rejects that shouldn't be rejected so you know what kind of systems are in place when the biometric uh, technology is not working effectively the fallback systems as you might imagine are at the very low end and uh, and unfortunately um, that essentially reverts to a um, a Q and A now. Uh, uh, very often, and you know, this is not a knock at TSA, but the throughput of the people is so enormous that um, the, the poor TSA people who are attempting to do the screening, uh, even if even based on presenting a driver's license and a ticket, they're looking for a match on the name. They, most people don't even take their driver's license out of the wallet, so they have no idea whether they're looking at a color copy of a driver's license that's behind a plastic screen. Or not, they they don't know they don't handle it, and and even if they handle it, the counterfeiting quality is so good, right. they don't have an authentication device that they can place it in to verify that it's uh, really a driver's license uh, to begin with. I mean, it could be a counterfeit. Right. So that so that's the fallback process if if the biometric didn't work, and and then and and, and it's only really as good as the as the skill set of the uh, person who's doing the uh, analysis and evaluation. And unfortunately, given the throughput and the, the volume and the long hours, um, that's not always very good. Right. And, you know, uh, the other thing I worry about when we talk about some of the biometrics, again, I think the technology in itself makes sense to me. I worry about the safeguards and how privacy would be built into the architecture of using the technology. Lots of times we've seen, like with RFIDs, the radio frequency identifiers, mm-hmm. The technology is really great for many things, but the privacy safeguards are not built into the architecture. So that's the scary part, at least for me as a privacy person, is that, you know, what kind of privacy is built into this? Meaning, 
if you've got this information, what kind of safeguards are that even if it is correct information about me, that it won't be used for a secondary purpose that isn't for law enforcement? You know, I mean, I can understand for law enforcement, but for non-law enforcement, I worry about the secondary uses, just like my Social Security number has been bought and sold and shared among the financial industry without my permission. Well, the... um I mean, uh, it relies really on the integrity of the database. I mean, keep in mind, the fingerprint's not actually stored. What's stored is an algorithmic value derived from a scanning of the fingerprint. So it's not a, I mean, you couldn't uh, uh, take that, that value, that algorithmically derived value, and turn that into a fingerprint. It can't be reverse engineered. Right. Uh, uh, but, but to your point, um, if that's the value against which comparison will be made and somebody expropriates that value, and so you know what the value is, the, and, and the criminal knows enough that it can't be an exact match. It has to be off a little bit, otherwise they'd know it was a, a fake, because right. it never matches exactly. Um, you could, I guess, contrive a, a device, um, you know, a, um, something that might fit over your finger, uh, a cot, especially if it doesn't look at the subcutaneous layers, if it only looks at the superficial um, right. uh, ridges. Uh, you you could uh, as has been done in the movies and everybody. I was thinking about, about Minority it. Report. Remember Minority yeah, Report right. when when he's got the when they put the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the the eyes might be a little bit more difficult, but the but the but it, it, yeah. it's not. Um, it, that's why it's so important that you look at the subcutaneous layers, and you can't rely on on fingerprint technology that looks only at the at the um, at the ridge uh, at the ridge count and the, and the you know the formation whether it's a, a loop or an ulnar loop or a whorl or you know a tenant arch or right. whatever the fingerprint form is it's got to look underneath to make sure that that really is that finger and not a uh, and not a, a knockoff uh, based on a uh, you know a, a a piece of film that's been de- been produced by etching and then slipped over the finger like a cot you know a finger cot yeah but are those machines really user-friendly for people who are just, you know, working at TSA or something? You know what I mean? How They must be very expensive. Well, they, they, ha- they have problems. I mean, uh, under the U.S. visit program, you know, where, where uh, the visa waiver countries come in and they, and they, they put their fingerprints down and they, and they you know, they get, scan- they get scanned and so forth. Um, if that machine, uh, you know, it, it's, it's all computer-linked. If that machine is down, which it sometimes is, um, then you basically have to revert to whatever the old form was. Uh, now, if the machine is working, um, assuming that the guy doesn't have, um, you know, uh, uh, some sort of uh, um, uh, lubricant on his fingers, that you know, maybe a hand cream that's heavy and opaques the ridges, um, you know, it, it and it's a slap down. You, you, it's not like a in the old fingerprints, law enforcement would roll the fingers, you know, with an right. ink print. Now, with this, you, you slap the fingers down. Huh. The problem with that is that the fingerprints that the FBI has in its massive depository are all rolled, and right. you can't compare those. They're not comparable. Wow. So uh, you have to basically, the only value you can check against is a stored value of a, of a slap print as opposed to a, to a rolled print. It, 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 otherwise, it's apples and oranges. Wow. So it's like, I remember when, you know, I'm a sheriff reserve here in Orange County, and to become one, I had to get my FBI fingerprints checked, right. my background check. So I remember right. going to this big machine, and I put my hand, I was, looked like a big Xerox machine, and I had to roll them. So right. I know what you mean. So those aren't, those wouldn't be compatible then. No, either. they're not. Uh, um, uh, because, it's, again, it's an algorithmic value, and you have more surface with a roll print than you do with a slap print. So you have a, a completely different value. Right. So what do you think? Is, it, would d- DNA then also be in your category of biometric? Well, yeah, DNA, uh, you, know, you know, from all, all the, the crime shows, and I mean, DNA is a great, a great tool, but, uh, but it's not instantaneous. And, right. you know, you have, uh, you, you would, uh, that would take time to process in order to make a, a comparison to determine whether or not it, the DNA stream, uh, streams are, are the same. Yeah, I mean, it may be be more accurate, but I think it's more of a privacy invasion as well, because in my DNA, you might see any kind of... Your history, medical history, or problems. Yeah, yeah. There are are real issues with DNA. Uh, Less so with uh, with fingerprint and uh, some of these other biometrics. But um, but but I guess the question is, uh, what are you willing to surrender uh, in the for for safety and national security? And you know, this is the uh, issue over and over again with the national ID card and. Uh, you know, I'm an advocate of a national ID card, 
but but not a national ID card in the European sense, one that's really made through standardization of the driver's license. Right. Let me just introduce you again, and then we're going to talk about the national ID, because that's been really hot in Congress also. Uh, we are speaking with a wonderful expert who wears every kind of hat you can imagine, and we do want him to get his medical degree next. But he does have a law degree, and he's a security expert, and he's former law enforcement with the FBI. And he is presently the senior vice chairman of Dodinsky Lisker Associates LLC, which is a political consulting firm, and they do business development for national corporations that they represent. And he um, is very, very knowledgeable about biometrics since he started way back when he was working with um, MasterCard and trying to help them with their security. So we are getting back to the issue of biometrics, which I think is really fascinating stuff. I agree. Uh, it um, it got my um, um, uh, absolute uh, solid 100% attention for about 10 years. Yeah, good. <laughs> and, uh, and still going. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I, I notice you're with the, bio, are you with the association? I mean, you represent the biometric, what is that called, that association? I think I read about them. I wanted to. Uh, the the, consor- the uh, Biometric the consortium. consortium, yeah. Uh, no, I don't represent them. That's a, uh, I've spoken there. Okay. And, it's a, and through NSA, it's a, a National Security Administration agency. It's a it's a um, a very uh, excellent forum. It's in uh, it's moved to Baltimore, Maryland, from Washington D.C. just uh, at the convention center, and it's coming up actually fairly soon. And it, it's a wonderful sh- uh, show and uh, an experience and training opportunity because it's all state of the art, and NSA plays an important as does the National uh, Bureau of Standards plays an important role in, in, in the quality of that program. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, as, a, as a privacy professional, although I worry about the new technology without having privacy safeguards, I know it's coming. So I don't fight these things. Instead, I say, how can we make it better? How can we make it safe, not only for, you know, people to use so there's not the false positives and false, you know, and the rejections. But also, how do we make it safe so people are not going to lose their civil liberties, their privacy, their freedom, and they're not going to be having um, other privacy invasions? That's that's the worry, I think, with biometrics and RFIDs. So yes. let's, let's get back to um, talking about the national ID. Tell us how what you think um, we should what we should have as a national ID as opposed to the real ID act and or do you think the same no I don't uh, well I mean I, what I think is that we really have a national ID card or the makings of one uh, in the in the 50 states that the District of Columbia uh, Puerto Rico Guam and you know the US Virgin Islands and so on uh, when you look at the millions of uh, people who have driver's licenses and or identity cards issued by those state governments or, or jurisdictions, um, if those were standardized, right now they're they're not standardized, and you know many have barcodes and most have photographs, uh, um, uh, but they they don't have any uh, uh, real consistency, right. and 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 they're paid for. Uh, by the individual driver, and you know they run from a period of four or five years, and they pay twenty-five dollars or more for one of these things. Well, the, the states argue that well, it's too expensive and we can't do it. Well, the, the production cost of that document, for which they charge twenty-five dollars, is about a buck. So, um, so uh, I would argue that you know what, you can charge fifty dollars. There's nobody I know that wouldn't pay fifty dollars for a five-year driver's license. And you, you have a $25 cushion against which you could put a chip on that driver's license as well as um, other technology, for example, the laser card technology that's used on the southern border and used for the green cards and used for the Canadian green cards. That, that's immutable technology. It can't be altered. And laser card is a California company, actually, from, uh, out in Mountain View, as, as I recall. Uh, but, but that technology with a chip, um, would it, would allow you to put a biometric so that if you were stopped by the police, the police could simply have a device in their car that they could handhold. You would put your fingerprint, or it would read your iris, or however you you want to, whatever biometric you want to use. It would in, it would prove that you were the uh, legitimate person on that driver's license, and it wasn't borrowed or stolen or counterfeit. To me, one of the fringe benefits, Mary, would be that you would. Um, would cut down on illegal drinking and uh, you know 
all the problems associated with that, the terrible accidents and things that happen with kids, because they they wouldn't be able to buy a counterfeit driver's license because every bar would have a small device that would authenticate it uh, just the same as they would with TSA. You do away with that whole problem of TSA looking at a driver's license and looking at you and trying to determine whether they're the same person or not. And, and you know, I was at the airport the other day, and... Um, um, a, a TSA guard stopped the man. He had a red, he had a bandana on, and and looked at him, and looked at the picture and said, "You're not the person on this ticket named on this ticket." He said, "I know. I got the ticket from my friend. I didn't want to have to pay a seventy-five dollar transfer fee, so I'm basically uh, using this ticket." And she said, "Oh, okay," and let him through. Oh, yeah. Talk about training, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, but let me ask you something. On that chip, what what else would be on that chip? Well, it's whatever you, whatever you want to put on there. It could be your driver, driving record. If you have uh, some limitations, uh, you must have glasses or, you know, you have some uh, other issue uh, with respect to whether you drive, let's say you have a drinking issue and maybe, uh, or, or some adjudication that says you can only drive from uh, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., um, you know, uh, that, that could be on there. Uh, if you have any medical, special medical problem, that could be on there in case, you know, you, you, you go into a diabetic coma while you're driving or you, or you, uh, you have a uh, problem uh, with, um, you know, passing out, that sort of thing. It could happen to anybody. I mean, it just happened to the Chief Justice. Yeah, I was just going to say. Uh, uh, the, the, there, at least, they could find out what was wrong with you, what medications you might need. It would be up to you to put that part on there, depending on your doctor's advice uh, and, you know, but but it certainly would have at a minimum whether you need to wear eyeglasses and whether there are any limitations on your driving, whether you can't drive a stick, you must drive a automatic transmission, or you can't drive a truck or can drive a truck, or you can drive a motorcycle. And and I mean, to me, it's it's a, a really a no-brainer. And uh, I've had this well, discussion. Well, Joe, would that, let me ask you a question. Um, in, in having this chip, would, would that information be encrypted? Yes. On there, so I'm yes. just worrying again about the privacy issue. Yeah, it would be encrypted, but the uh, but the handheld device that the a police officer would have would have the keys and would be able to decrypt that information, uh, you know, for his use. But but the, but that would be a controlled device. It wouldn't be something that would be available, and it, and the encryption would be fairly robust. And then, if if he he had the key to read it, and then what if? All right, so so that would be protected, and, and only he could get in there, and that yeah, no one else could access, get in there. Yeah, he would your computer. There'd be a password, access code. Maybe his own biometric would be required to open, turn the thing on. You know, there's lots of controls you can put in place on that. Hmm. Okay, somebody stole it. They couldn't use it because it would, you know, only he could, only he could start it. And what if what if I lost my ID or someone stole it from me? Then? Well, he wouldn't be able to use it because the minute it was presented to a policeman, he put that thing in there. And okay. you try to authenticate yourself, it would show it wasn't you. Okay. So what if somebody um, used, uh, you know, just when they first go get their license and they use somebody else's name and someone's identity? In other words, from the inception of... Right. That's, that's the, that, is the huge, that is the huge problem you put your finger right okay. on. Okay. Okay. So because that would worry me that somebody, for example, even my own imposter was able to get a driver's license and... And um, you know, pretend to be me, okay? Yeah, because and, many of the many of the DMVs, the the uh, you know the motor vehicle bureaus, uh, require that you have a birth certificate or a passport or something like that. But if it's a birth certificate, they require that you have a seal on the birth certificate that's raised. Right. Well, you can. I mean, I've watched them. Uh, you can get you can get an old corporate seal or a notary public seal or anything you want, right. and and do that, and they rub their fingers over it, and it's raised, of course, and that and that's it, and the and the, the birth certificate could be completely fake. Exactly, and, and you know, people do that, and they can get a social security number. They right. can use somebody else's social security number, and if they if the inception of that card is made fraudulently, then how do you prove it's you? Do you know what well, I mean? Then well, you are well, really up the creek. Well, what you need to do, I mean, uh, you know, uh, this gets to be fairly expansive very quickly. But what you need to do is when kids, uh, uh, you know, uh, go into secondary school, at that point maybe, uh, they are issued an ID card, uh, just the same as you can get an ID card uh, by going to the DMV if you're not a driver and, and you pay a fee and you'll get a state ID card that you can use. Uh, every motor vehicle bureau offers that. Uh, and, and uh, But you'd have to start with children so that... Um, 
so that there'd be a chain of reliability that would be built up over years from the time, say, they were 12 or 13 years old. Well, you know, right now, when you're in the when you have a baby in the hospital, you you get a social security number for that baby. You know yes. what I'm saying? And then yeah. they do that automatically now. I remember, you yes, know, when, when I was I, when I was a kid, you know, you didn't I didn't get it till I started working when I was 16. Me too. But um, but you know, nowadays they give it to you right in the hospital, and you have to have one by the time you're two. So. You know, I mean, I think there are some privacy issues when, when, you know, here you are in Washington and you and you know, being a political consultant, the whole brouhaha with the real ID. You want to talk about how um, how you think that all came down and what's going to happen in the future with with the real ID? Well, because that um, really has something to do with what you're saying. You're basically suggesting the real ID. Yeah, it's been a disappointment, to put it mildly. Um, the, the, the political will. Uh, 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 I mean, we started we, we started talking about this and mandating. I think in October it was supposed to be done in October of what was it? Uh, uh, two thousand and was this two thousand seven? Like two thousand three? I think they were talking about this as Mr. Sensenbrenner and others uh, 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 trying to uh, push this forward. Um, uh, it, it didn't quite materialized the way they hoped it would and it kept putting off and putting off and it was encompassed also with this passport this new passport uh, yes. issue which yes. never really materialized the way it was supposed to well um, but that had, there was always also the worry about the radio frequency identifier right. that could be read within it from you know right and and you remember <laughs> that this guy from state department uh, got up on and the stage and said you couldn't read it and somebody in the audience read his that he had in his pocket and right. put it on the internet uh, uh, Frank Moss, uh, uh, who, who I don't think is at the State Department any longer, but but he, you know, he looked sort of foolish. Right. And and, and the uh, the other problem with that RFID is that you can come in with a, a black box and basically blast, you know, with radio waves, blast and destroy all of the electronic capabilities of those cards, and then and then you revert to the uh, the, the program we have now, where somebody has to look at the card. So that if the terrorist knows that somebody's going through the line, uh, they simply just bring this black box in and uh, they just basically destroy all the read capability, and um, and then they revert to the uh, the recognition factor of looking at you and looking at this piece of plastic that you present. Right, them. right. But, but the, the other problem is this pass program. You know, this thing um, to uh, to do displaced the use of the driver's license going to Canada and back and going to the islands and back and that's right sort of thing. in Mexico yeah in Mexico that 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 has got to, that has got to be the biggest scandal in the making I mean they're essentially talking about a card that costs less than a dollar to produce right. uh, I, I mean you it'll it'll won't be as good a quality as the counterfeit uh, driver's license that they're making in Mexico I mean I I, do, I cannot understand for the life of me how how Congress can can st- sit by and, and, and allow this to happen. You, you'd think that that would, if you're trying to displace the driver's license and you don't want to have a robust driver's license, the car that displaces it ought to be robust. The cars that are being suggested now, and they'll make the decision, I guess, in the late part of the year or maybe even in the spring, it could go off to then, um, w- will be something that you can counterfeit probably in 25 minutes. So I, and, that, and that's going to be the card that people use to come from Canada into the United States, from Mexico into the United States, vice versa. Um, it's just it's just a scandal in the making. You know, I got to tell you, Joel. I I'm in a uh, pretty soon. I'm going to be in a few weeks. I'm going to be interviewing Kevin Mitnick, and you know who he is. Oh so yeah, Kevin you, and I served on boards together. Right, right. So Kevin was for those of you who don't know who he is. You know, he was the FBI hacker, right? And he was a government agent. He was a, he was a hacker, and he is now a security expert. And I'm reading. Both of his books, The Art of Deception and The Art of, um, I forgot the other one. His business card is quite unique. It's a, it's a lock-picking set. Yeah. A, a real lock-picking set. That's, uh, that's how his business card is made. Right. Actually, he interviewed me on uh, KFI uh, several years ago, which is kind of funny. But <laughs> the point I'm making is I've been reading his books, and when you talk about these safeguards or this technology that's going to be so wonderful, well, these young people can figure this out. And, I mean, just like they figured out everything else. And, and then, you know, of course, they can be bought, some of them, by terrorist groups to do certain things. And what I'm afraid of is every time we think of a technology that, that isn't really tight, like what you're talking about, 
um, the, the bad guys are going to be outdoing us. They're going to make so, more money. You're absolutely right. The, the low end, um, you know, you get what you pay for. And the low-end technology that the State Department is now seeking to foist off on the American public, in my opinion, as I said, is a scandal in the making. But, but the worst part of it is people could die over this. I mean, yes. people, this is a real problem. It's not, it's, that's not dollars and cents. It can't, if it comes down to that, then you might as well just forget the whole thing. Exactly. You, you want something that's real, that's robust, that, that cannot be compromised easily by those with some technical prowess. And that will not only raise a comfort level, but actually keep out the bad guys. Exactly. We're speaking with Joe Lisker, who's an attorney and the senior vice chairman of Dodinsky Lisker Associates, which is a political consulting firm in uh, Washington, D.C. They also work with business development with major corporations. And he's also a biometrics expert and security expert who was uh, Vice President for Security and Risk Management for MasterCard International. And he's a great guy, and he knows what he's talking about. And we're talking about many things, but basically the issue of biometrics, which is using a unique part of your body to identify you, whether it's your iris scan, your retina scan, your fingerprint, your facial scan, your voice print. How about if you have a cold? <laughs> I wondered about that. Would uh, that well, change? I mean, you know, if you're if you're talking about the voice authentication, yeah, and you have yeah. a cold that that certainly uh, 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 could uh, impact the um, the ability of the system to authenticate you. Yes. Now, my understanding from what I've read, and I may be wrong, you'll you'll know this better. But of which of the various biometric um, capabilities are most uh, effective? Is it is it the fingerprint? Is that the one with the least? Um, False positives, false negatives, or rejects? Well, I think the, uh, the, most effect, the most effective from the standpoint of enrollment and repeatability, reliability, I think, is the iris. Oh, it's the opinion. iris. And, you know, and, I, and I, I say that because I have Steve Brill's card, you know, the, the, the card that we use at the airports now. And, uh, and I was actually on the selection committee that selected Mr. Brill's card uh, uh, for Orlando Airport, which was the first. We, we represent the Orlando Airport. And... Um, but I can't, I can't enroll uh, with that card to repeat to renew it, because the technology that they're using doesn't look at the subcutaneous layers. And my, uh, unfortunately, my fingerprints have been damaged, and um, uh, and they can't rely solely on the iris. They actually have to have both. Hmm. So um, I have to wait until TSA changes the rules so to allow me to. But, but if you go if you go to Orlando a lot and you know that you can wait 35, 40 minutes in line. Uh, to leave the airport um, to get you know to get on your your, your flight to, away, wow. uh, this thing took six seconds to get through because it had a special line. Interesting. And, um, it was uh, I really uh, unhappy about not being able to enroll in it. So I, I think the fingerprint uh, is problematic for people you know above the age of fifty um, or can be. Uh, obviously, there's these cultural issues that I referred to earlier in your program. Uh, where, where uh, Japanese, for example, associated with criminal uh, behavior and 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 uh, don't accept it, and and I've done uh, we've done some polling on it, and fingerprint comes out on on national polls, fingerprinting comes out fairly high, but um, I think it feels less invasive than your eye. I mean, although all of us grew up with Star Trek, you know, and that was like, isn't that how they got read by their iris scan? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's what I remember. Captain Kirk would look into the computer, and he's and they he'd get to go into the room or whatever. Yeah, I like the I like the iris scan. I mean, you look at this thing; um, uh, it, it's a mirror, basically. You're looking into, or what appears to be a mirror, and then uh, it goes from red to green, and and that's it. You're through. Now, are there any health issues with regard to this technology that reads it? You know, kind of like an X-ray going into your eye, you know, like you're not supposed to have yeah, too many uh, X-rays? Not, not to my knowledge. That question's been raised a number of times, and it's been denied, and I don't know that anyone's been able to counter that. You would think that they uh, should do some kind of study on that. I, well, I, I think it's, it's been, I think that's been done early on, uh, and to my knowledge, those um, concerns have, have abated. Yeah. So, you know, with all of us being so worried about terrorism, and especially when you go to the airport and, and thinking about people traveling all the time like you and I do, and it's such a hassle to travel because you go through security and it's such a joke, What we, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it makes no sense. So how do you see um, 
biometrics really identifying people and not uh, having a problem. Like, I remember, didn't they put up some pictures of bin Laden or something in the Orlando airport and that that, that got through? Wasn't there, I saw something on TV about um, that. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was Orlando, but there there was, uh, uh, somebody had a mask or something or a, a, a face. It, it, they, they, uh, maybe it was at Los Angeles. I can't remember, recall exactly, or San Isidro, where they were actually doing um, they were doing a scan, and, and somebody scanned this, and it didn't. It didn't equate. Right. But but of course, but you, but you have to know that the uh, that the photograph that was used, or the the poster, or whatever it was that was used, didn't is not the right scale because when when you look at the triangular area between the eyes and the nose and the top of the lip uh, and everything that's part of the facial recognition process, uh, if if it's not exactly the right size, uh, it's, you're not going to, it, it won't equate. Right. Yeah, but one of the things that where I think it would be really useful, you, you have in the government thousands of people who can carry firearms at airports and on airplanes. They're called 1811 series uh, agents. They're Homeland Security agents, they're FBI agents, they're Secret Service agents, Treasury agents, Postal Inspectors, Customs, you name it. Right. They, they all have the right to do this. When you, when you look at how that process works, Basically, the person presents themselves to a, a clerk, uh, you know, at the uh, ticket counter. Right. And that clerk uh, looks at an ID. They have no idea whether it's real or not. Uh, real, yeah, you know, and you can buy, you used to be able to buy FBI badges on eBay. Uh, right. We try to put a stop to that, and I think we've been successful. But, but, but the fact is you could do it. They could be and, manufactured, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so then they give you a form to fill out, and it's filled out with a ballpoint pen. And I think it's three or four copies. One copy they keep. One copy goes to the captain. One copy uh, uh, goes to you. And, and, and you bypass the magnetometer. I mean, you could be walking on with a bomb uh, wrapped around your waist, but because you have a gun, they, they take you around the magnetometer. Nobody examines you or searches you. And, and, and you've got this credential that you pre- presented. And you get on the plane. You're introduced to the captain. <coughs> you t- excuse me. <coughs> you take a seat. The, the uh, flight attendant notes the area that you're sitting in. The captain knows that, and um, and and you're off. Now, why wouldn't you have, uh, as part of the process, an ID card that would be part of your credential with a chip with a biometric that would be read by a terminal? A message would be sent back to your agency saying that Agent Lisker is about to board United Airlines flight so and so, and there'd be a receptor in that agency set up to receive those kinds of messages and authenticate them against travel schedules, approved travel, to authenticate the fact that that isn't their person that's getting on the plane. Why so, would you so, do so that? So they would look at the chip, and then uh, the chip had your iris scan, and then they would scan right. your they eye. They know it's you, and then they would send a message to your, um, you know, and, be, and before you, you got on the plane, if they didn't get an authentication back, you'd be prevented from boarding. Right. So, so, but, but I want to just ask you something for clarification. So they, they, they would scan your chip that's in your card and scan your eye as well to yeah, see if the, there's a match, the terminal, right? Yeah, or a fingerprint. I mean, it could be anything. Right. Right. Okay. And then they see if that's a scan, and then that would also send a message somewhere else. Yeah, to, just to like bear... a just like a point of sale terminal does. You know, okay. uh, when right. you with the, credit card. Credit yeah. card. Right. Okay. Okay. So then it would automatically go through that that. You kind of scan it through, and then it scans your eye, and then it also goes to... And it prints to... out an off, uh, a pass based on I your see. agency's acceptance of this. It, pass, it, it prints out a, a receipt, essentially, like a credit card receipt, that would basically say that Agent Lisker can board the flight so-and-so. Right, right. I mean, and I presented that to the FBI director, former FBI director, Mr. Free, at a meeting, and we talked about it for a while, and, and he said... Yeah, but, you know, it's so complicated and this and that. And I said, you know what, but you've got literally thousands of people with guns, and it's not so much the gun. Right. Because, but but that, what it means is that whoever presents himself as authorized to carry the gun walks around the magnetometer, and he could have anything on him. Right, right. You know, also you, you um, had brought up something when we were kind of c- conversing back and forth by email about have, being able to use a gun, having biometrics to be able to even right. use the gun, which I thought was a great idea. 
Because if you are authorized, you know, as a sheriff reserve, I actually, if I wanted to, I could carry a concealed weapon, which I don't even want to do because I don't know how to shoot them very well. But, you know, I mean, if you if you are licensed to use a, a weapon or you're licensed to have a concealed weapon, and th- then there should be some kind of biometrics on your gun so that only you can use it as opposed to somebody coming in your house, getting the gun and killing you and your spouse in right, house. or your child getting hold of the gun exactly. and hurting somebody, and that's doable. As a matter of fact, Smith and Wesson has has actually developed a product like that, and they won an award at uh, one of the large uh, trade shows uh, for this product. Now, the problem is for a police officer that as, um, if they're injured somehow or or they change hands, right? Uh, um, you, you you probably wouldn't want to activate that capability even though it might make sense in case the gun's taken away from them. But you probably wouldn't want to have that capability activated um, uh, uh, while they're on duty. But when the gun is in, you know, in, the, in the bureau drawer or wherever they put it, uh, and they've got kids in the house or somebody could break into the house, it would be a damn good idea to have that capability engrafted on the gun so that the gun couldn't be used improperly. By anybody else who wasn't authorized, yeah. Right. Right. You know what you could also do in, in terms of brainstorming, I don't know how you could do it, but, you know, um, if you were um, a, a law enforcement officer and you had the gun and somebody took it away, it would be neat if you had some little button on your belt or something that you could push that would deactivate it. That that would be doable also. They actually you know have I mean? that for motor vehicles, so I'm, I'm sure they could do it for a gun. Right, so that, you know, in other words, you wouldn't have to use your biometrics to do it, but you could then, if you were hurt or injured, you could push it, and then no one else, then they couldn't, yeah, until you put your hand on it again. Right. Because at least then you, you know, they couldn't use it against you. That would, that, that I believe that, in theory, at least, that would be doable. Yeah, what do we know? We're not doctors. We're not. We're not well, doctors. actually, I've done a lot of work with firearms, and and uh, and and I'm I'm just trying to think through the process. It probably wouldn't work as well with a revolver as it would with a semi-automatic pistol, but it, but it, I believe it could be done. Right. Now let's let's talk about a little bit since you know we're in California here, and we always worry about border security. And and you know there's a big brouhaha at least in the western states like Arizona and California with people coming over into our country who are not here you know legally. And of course terrorists can come across our borders the same way, right? Well, I mean they can come in from Canada. They can or, walk across the border from Honduras. Uh, there's no. I mean you can buy your way into Honduras, and you can come from anywhere. And Honduras has a large as you know, probably know, has a large uh, Arab population, and uh, you can simply walk uh, uh, to the Mexican border and, uh, you know, across Central America or ride a bike or go by car or however you want to do it. Or, or come in from Canada or something. So right. so what are you thinking? Um, you had said something about the countries. There's many countries that have a mandatory national ID card. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and interestingly, that card, you can't get a credit card without presenting that card. So to your point earlier about the Social Security number and maybe a secret question or, or a question to only to which you would know the answer being asked, in order, you know, and it's not your mother's maiden name, um, you, you, that works. In Germany, for example, uh, it works extremely effectively. In Austria, it works effectively. In, in most of the Northern European countries, they have this ID card. And you can't open a bank account. You can't do anything without presenting that card. And that card is authenticatable. It's it's not something. It's not just a piece of plastic that that uh, you know you can present and somebody looks at it and says, yeah, I guess that's okay. This thing can actually be authenticated. So how would you see doing that if you like you know in our country and well with the driver's some... license, the same thing. In other words, you put a chip on the driver's license that would have certain information encrypted uh, that would authenticate you. It would have your social security number or encrypted. Uh, or, you know, your tax identification number, if you were a business or whatever it is. And uh, when you wanted to open a bank account, you'd present this card, just the same way you, you do when you present your corporate papers when you open a business bank account. Same thing. Right, right. But, Joel, so many people apply for credit cards online. Uh-huh. And so then they would have this They would have this little... Uh, they would have to pick this, up the this... card. Uh, it wouldn't be mailed to them. They would ha- as, as in these countries, you have to actually pick up the card in the bank or in a branch of the bank or through an agent uh, of the bank, you know, a, a center, a post office could distribute it, really. But you'd have to have that ID card when you pick that up. Or if you were if you were ordering online to authenticate, you could have this chip, which you could have it, like you said, it's yeah, an you algorithm. You could on your terminal. We, we have products uh, that we, we represent where you basically... You basically have a, a, a like a point of sale terminal that plugs into your computer, 
and and you swipe that, and it's just like the card was present. Right, right. And you could do the same thing with a chip. It's no problem. Right, right. And or you could, yeah. So that would go electronically, as right. you would and then need it would to authenticate have... you, and then they could do it that way. That that's all doable. And, and that... Mastercard has products, as does Visa, uh, and American Express that have the chip and and have that capability. Um, it would just have to be slightly re-engineered in order to allow for this if there was a national ID requirement. So are you saying that they have, Are you ta- let, me, let me kind of clarify what you're saying about having that MasterCard, Visa, and American Express, they have a chip that has this biometric information? Are you saying no, that? No, they, no, no, no. Well, uh, the, no, they have a chip that is capable of storing this information and delivering it uh, to proper, through proper channels. Uh, which is used for financial payments, but there's no reason why that chip couldn't be adapted for this purpose. Um, uh, you know, to, and that gets to, back to the privacy issue of of the secondary use or who'd have access well, to it. Well, that's why it's important yeah. that the government issue the ID card as opposed to a private entity, and that way right. the government has the responsibility of maintaining the standards uh, and, and the control and safety of the information. Do you remember a few years back, I think it must have been about five years ago, when they were trying to have a public-private venture where they'd have a, quote, similar real ID where you'd have a chip that would have your credit cards on it as well, you know, like a smart ID card. And that that, that then, the big concern I remember among the privacy advocates was that, wait a minute, if you're going to have all this together and all of the financial industry, if you have everything in one place, then that could easily be shared and um, and read by various entities, governmental and private. Remember that? And that was going to fund the Real ID Act? Do you remember that? Uh, I do, yeah, and, and, and I do remember those concerns. Well, again, you'd have to compartment and segregate the information. There would have to be separate encryption schemes for each compartment so that it, there wasn't any crossover or, or um, ripple effect by gaining access to one compartment. Right. So, you know, we've been talking about this, and there's a lot of really good ideas out there. Why have biometric solutions not really been adopted yet across the board? Um, I think it's, well, I think there's, this is going to sound, um, I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to sound. Okay, don't I'll say it that way then. Um, <laughs> um, very often the people who make these decisions, uh, uh, who have responsibility, are people who've come up through government, you know, they may have started as file clerks. I have no idea. And I, and I don't mean to knock the government service because I'm, I'm a product of government service and, right. and, I, and I enjoyed and benefited greatly from my experience. And hopefully I delivered some value to the American people. But, but those people don't necessarily know very much about what it is that they're commandeering. They're, they're trying to take over a program and they're trying to deliver a product, but they don't really understand the fundamentals, uh, unfortunately. And uh, they rely on vendors and others who, and not in every case, but in some cases, may have motives to get rid of old stock, to get rid of this, to get rid of that. Uh, you know, uh, money is always an issue and profit and so forth. And people and so are afraid not, of change. Don't you think so also, Joel? Uh, well, mo- most people don't like change. Right. Uh, they're uncomfortable with it. And, um, and, and change is not always good. But... but um, yeah, I think that that's that's a concern. But but more, uh, my experience has been that the people that are very often running the programs are managers, uh, but they are not technically astute. Right. And they really don't understand what it is they're supposed to be doing, and they rely on others. And 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 at least in some cases, one could call into question the motives of those uh, who are operating in these support roles. Uh, who. Well, I, I don't want to say more than that, but I mean, right. that, that's at least an open question. Right, right. And you're in Washington, so you know the inside story a lot better than I do. Lloyd is yep. giving uh, me the... Well, I, I don't know if... Uh, <laughs> I, think you're pretty, uh, <laughs> I think you're pretty well informed, but I... I uh, but I don't I, know I, the inside workings of Washington like well, you Well, do. I, I don't think anybody really does, <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, but uh, and you're, I'm never... Uh, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm I mean, every time you think you know, uh, something <laughs> comes along and surprises the hell out of you, and we just... Yeah, we've had stuff recently that's been very surprising. Right. But, um, well, you know, Lloyd is telling me we are really just down to the last second here. So I just want to uh, thank you so much, Joe. We're going to have to have you come back and share. I mean, I have so many more things I'd love to talk to you about. You're just terrific. Well, But thank we're you. just, you know, we just are out of time. But I think about the next time when we can talk more well, about it's how. Nice to have, it's nice to have a host who really understands the <laughs> issues. That's not always the case. 
<laughs> well, thank you. That's so sweet. But I'll tell you, the one thing I, I would like to just suggest when you're working with these people in the biometric industry is that they do this, that they really focus on privacy and and being careful about that because I think that's going to make a, a huge difference in acceptance. But Lloyd says we got to go. He's going to kill me here. Thank you so much, Joel. Well, thank will... you, and thank you, Lloyd, for, for your support. Okay, so you've been listening to Joel Lisker, who is a an expert on security and law enforcement and biometrics, and he happens to be the senior vice chairman of Dodinsky Lisker Associates, a political consultant firm. And we thank you so much for joining us. Go to our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. You've been listening to Privacy Piracy. I'm your host, Mari Frank, and you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.